0: Thank you for welcoming us into your space. My name is Michael, this is Mariana, and we are so honored um, to be a part of your day today and um, to be a part of the service and what we feel like God is going to be doing in our time together. Um, Today, we are super excited. Um, Today is actually, um, as you can see by our lovely set, um, today is the first Sunday or the first day of Advent. And we're celebrating Advent today.
1: Yes, yes. So later on during our service, we're gonna have a moment to celebrate Advent together. And we would also like to invite you to experience Advent at home. We have prepared this digital experience, which is a four week journey that we encourage you to engage in that at home. You can find that on our website and on our social media.
0: Absolutely. And if you're engaging with us on Sunday morning at one of our live services, um, those are at 9, 10, and 11 on Sunday mornings. Um, I I just want to say welcome to you guys as well. Um, I'm going to be hanging out in the chat, um, just interacting with you if you have any questions or any prayer needs that you have. Um, encourage you to engage in, in, in that online platform. If you're not watching this during that time, you can still ask for prayer. Yeah. And um, there's plenty of ways to do that. I think one of the easiest and quickest ways is just to get on the website, yeah. right? And get on, there's a chat there that you can just say, hey, can somebody pray for me? Absolutely. And, and then we can, uh, we can pass that on and we can be praying for you. We are a church who believes in prayer. And, um, and man, it's I'm so excited to see what God is gonna do in our time together today.
1: For sure, we love our online community and we're looking forward to connecting with you through Definitely. this during this time. Um, so it's no secret to anybody that this was such a difficult year for everyone. Yeah. And that includes us at the church. We have been through such uh, learning moments and yeah. pivoting moments. And we just wanna take a a little minute here to show you a snapshot of what your generosity has allowed to happen during this time, this unparalleled year. So take a look.
2: Before COVID, we kinda had this vision for the student ministry of this big gathering happening on Wednesday nights. This is the place for that to happen. This is where they're gonna find community this is the place they're gonna call home.
3: We had the stampede lined out. We had um, several of the summer traditional summer events that we do with the truck, because you calendar out a food truck a lot further. So those things going away were probably the bigger uh, eye opener for uh, what changed on it. But then, uh, you know, the pandemic hit and how do we carry that out? Um, kind of this vision that we were starting to plant a seed for and now we've got the pandemic. I think the the moment was when we had tens of thousands of dollars of events cancel within a week. I mean, I guess just when that first order from, you know, that like stay at home, what does it look like for me to engage with our group leaders in a time where I'm being told to stay home? And uh, so, but I guess that was the moment when it became very real for me. It's very hard, I think, for me to say that there was a moment in time when I realized things were going to change so drastically, but there was a a real process um, that took place. It's hard to let go, no matter what, because we're resistant to change and we love comfort. So it's difficult at first. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm lashing out in in my world, my family, my whatever, uh, into starting to have a perception of possibility and hope and and, uh, goodness, which I wish I could get to earlier.
4: My feelings were we are the perfect church for this because we're constantly adapting and changing the way that we do things and how we do things. And that was like super encouraging to me that even in an
3: environment where we're being told kind of like distance yourself from other people, our leaders were gonna find a way, our groups were gonna find a way to still have that connection. And then eventually you come to, wow, this is intriguing. What are we going to do? And how can we um, make the best of this kind of situation? I tend to be very optimistic. There wasn't like a specific verse, but it was more like, what do I believe the church truly is? Is the church a building? Is the church a worship service? Or is the church people? This was a common theme throughout this country, that the church was still taking place in people's
2: homes the church was still taking place by the members of the church coming together. Uh, And so we, you know, at the beginning of summer, we launched these things called house parties. And here's like the beautiful thing. It took our large student ministry and it allowed us to take these students and to put them into these like groups with 15 to 20 other kids, a couple leaders who know them. And, And it's basically a small youth ministry. So instead of being one mass ministry, we are a bunch of small youth ministries. And the beauty is this, students who come, they're known. Right? And it's not just like we know your name, it's like no, we know your story, we know how to pray for you by name, we know what's going on in your life. We get to actually walk with you through that week by week and it has just been so beautiful to see the community that has developed in all of these different house parties we have.
3: And so for me to know that I got to be a part of a ministry that was helping feed what I think is essentially what the church is, people coming together to know each other better, to to of course know Christ better, to, to follow Him together, to be community together. Like I believe that
4: promise. And so that promise I believed and I feel like I only believe it more now. This is creating so many opportunities for the church to stand up and meet these new needs that are taking place and to expand our perspectives of what the church can be Don't get me wrong, I would love for it to be possible for every seat to be sat on in our sanctuary. That would be incredible. But beyond weekend services, the other things that have been birthed from this open opportunity, this heartbeat of adaptation and growth and innovation, I would hate for those things to disappear. It's been so purposeful and so within the heart of God as I understand it and so within the kingdom as I understand it. Here's all the opportunities that stand before the church. Are we going to rise to the occasion or are we going to get caught up in the logistics and the limitations? And what I've seen Christ's community do is stand up and rise to the occasion and spread influence throughout these opportunities that have kind of unfolded in front of us.
0: So we wanna be completely clear and transparent with you in this time. And, um, and the truth is, is that it's through your year-end giving and your faithfulness um, to the ministry here at Christ Community, Um, that we become stronger as a family um, and that we are able to to reach out and connect other people with the life-giving presence of Christ in this season and that we are able as a church to to offer Christ to all people. So we are only able to do that through your faithful giving.
1: Yeah and you can do it in a variety of ways, easy ways, even under this video right now, there's a link that you can give, you can text to give, Uh, you can go to our website. So we would like to take a moment and experience this opportunity to invest in what God is doing here at Christ's community.
0: So in just a moment, I do wanna pray over that giving and that opportunity that we have to express our generosity. Uh, but before I do that, I just want to give you a heads up on what we get to experience here together in a moment. Pastor Nate uh, is going to be coming and sharing a, a message from a new series that we're super excited about that's going to kind of take us through the uh, the Christmas, the Advent season. Um, so super excited. We get kind of a little a preview on what he shares. Um, so we're super excited to enjoy that and experience that yeah, together. it's going to be um, good. So why don't you join me in prayer together as we go into that. So Father, we just uh, recognize you from the start here. We just thank you for who you are. Um, we thank you for what you continue to do uh, in the life and the ministry of Christ Community Church, and we thank you um, for those who are faithful in giving and making that happen. Um, so God, we just pray a blessing and wisdom over all of us as we consider what it is that you want us, um, how we, we can be generous, generous in this, this time. So God, would you lead us and guide us? And God, we also pray that at now as we come to hear your word, God, that you would illuminate to it, uh, it to us, God, that you would speak to us, that you would... Stir in our hearts the words that we need to hear from you today. Open our hearts. Help us to see you more clearly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's enjoy the sermon together.
2: Well, it is good to be with you guys this morning. If you guys don't know me, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. And I get the, the privilege of opening God's word with you guys today. So to kind of kick this off, my wife and I, we've got uh, four daughters Ryan, Nolan, Ashton Carson. Like I absolutely love and adore these girls. And our our third daughter, her name is Ashton. She is uh, interesting. She's five years old. About a year ago, she started doing this thing where in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m., she would sneak into our room and she would fall asleep in our bed. Now, if she was a normal sleeper, I probably wouldn't care. Honestly, I probably wouldn't even notice. I'd just sleep right through it. But Ashton is anything but normal. Not only does she talk in her sleep, somehow, in the middle of the night, she manages to turn herself sideways, get her feet in my face and proceed to kick me until I wake up. It's not a very pleasant experience. Well, after a, a couple weeks of dealing with this, I had this brilliant idea to get her to stay in her room, and that was this, is I was going to start locking my door. A- and so one night, go to bed, lock my door, figuring, daughter's going to come, find the door locked, go back to her room. Didn't happen. <laughs> She began to bang on the door at 1 a.m. and cry at the top of her lungs until I opened the door and allowed her to come into our room. Now, in that moment, I was exhausted. I felt a little bad for my kids, so I let her come in the bed. But that next morning, I sat her down and I had a conversation with her. I tried to explain to her how daddy needs good sleep, how when she hops in our bed, it makes that really, really hard for me to do. And then I asked her why she comes in the room. And the thing she said, I'm never going to forget it because it broke my heart. She told me that in the middle of the night when she wakes up alone, when there's nobody there with her, she's afraid and she experiences this overwhelming fear. And in that moment, the only thing that she wants to do, the only thing that can make her feel safe is to come and to be with us. You know, that kind of fear, that kind of fear that can paralyze us, that can Consume us, it's not just something that little kids deal with, it's something that we as adults deal with as well. I mean, let's be honest, there is a lot in this world right now that causes us to experience that kind of fear. For you, maybe it's COVID, or maybe it's some of the things that have happened because of COVID losing a job, having a failing business, a relationship that used to be good that's falling apart now. Maybe it's the election. What is it that you're afraid of right now? You know, the question that I found myself asking myself in light of all of that, in light of my own experiences is this, is like, what am I supposed to do with that fear that I feel? How can we respond to it in a way that doesn't paralyze us, but actually sets us up to be able to experience life the way that God has called us to? You know, for the next four weeks, we're gonna answer some of those questions in our new Advent series, which we're calling Fear Not. And over these next four weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at four different times in the Christmas story where God showed up in an unexpected way and spoke directly into the fears that his people were experiencing. And the hope is that as we do this, the spirit is gonna speak to us and minister to us and help us work through and process some of those fears that we have in a healthy way. Now, Advent, if you don't know what it is, it's this season in the church calendar where for the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we take time to reflect and to remember and to anticipate the coming of Jesus. And what we're going to find as we do this together is that it's going to give us this new lens through which we can look at some of those things that might cause us to experience fear in our lives. Now, typically around Christmas, if you come to church and you're a part of a series like this, you've probably heard some passages from the Old Testament prophets being read about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. And one of the most famous one comes out of Isaiah chapter nine, where it says this, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. All right. That is a beautiful prophetic statement about the coming of Jesus that was written and spoken more than 700 years before his birth. Now, when we look at it, we can see how it accurately foretold everything that we see in the beginning of the gospels. For us, it is this reminder of this beautiful thing that's happened. But when Isaiah first spoke this to the Israelites, they saw it through a different lens. You see, for them, this wasn't about something that had already happened, something they could celebrate. It was about something that was going to happen, something that they would anticipate. And for them, that was significant because in that time, things weren't going well for them. Their nation had been destroyed by a foreign army, their leaders had been dragged off into captivity, their homes had been destroyed, their lives were in ruin because of what they were living through. This message, this promise, this prophecy, it took on a whole different meaning. You see, to them, it was this reminder that God wasn't done with them yet, that he hadn't forgotten these promises that he had made to them. Isaiah was telling them that God still had a plan and that plan was to send a Messiah, a king who would establish a new kingdom that would have no end. This message, this promise, it brought the people hope in a time where they felt hopeless. And these people, these Israelites, they held on to that hope for the next 700 years. Whenever things were good, whenever things were bad, they kept looking towards that. And this is where our story picks up today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Luke 1. We're going to start at the beginning of the Christmas story where an angel unexpectedly appears to a man by the name of Zechariah. Starting in verse 5, it says this. In the days of King Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. All right, so here we are introduced to two people who are significant to this part of the story. We've got Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Now, Zachariah, he was a a, a priest. He was a servant of the Lord, kind of like the equivalent of a modern day pastor. And we also find out some things about these two that are also important. They're advanced in years, meaning they're, they're past their prime in life. They're older. And not only that, Elizabeth is barren. She has been unable to have children. Now that's not a minor detail in the story. It's significant. If you've had friends who've had to walk through this, or maybe you yourself have had to walk through this, you know how devastating this could be to want a child and not be able to have one. And for Zachariah and his wife, this caused them deep Grief, but this grief wasn't just something that they had to suffer through on their own. There was also this dynamic of social shame that was associated with being barren, because back then people thought that if you were barren, if you were unable to have kids, it was because God was punishing you for something that you had done, which for them must have been all the more confusing, because as we saw in verse six, they had actually obediently followed God their entire lives. They had done everything right and they had walked blamelessly before them. And yet to have to endure this, to be barren without an answer as to why, that must have hurt. It must have made them feel like God had forgotten them. It's easy to see why something like that might cause anxiety and fear to begin to develop and grow in their hearts. Our story continues in verse eight, where it says this. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So as a priest, it was a part of Zachariah's job to go to be a part of this ceremony that happened in the city of Jerusalem at the temple every year. This is something that they would do as, as a part of their sacrificial system to, you know, atone and deal with the sins of, uh, of the people. Now, because there were so many priests, it meant that not every priest actually got to go in and offer a sacrifice. They could all be a part of the ceremony, but not every priest got to go into the temple. And, and so what they would do is they would do this thing called casting lots. It was kind of like rolling dice or picking a straw. And this particular time, the lot fell on Zechariah, which meant that he was the one who got to go in there. And so he put on his priestly garbs. He got the incense that he needed and he headed into the Holy of Holies to fulfill his priestly duty. And when he enters the temple, it says that there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So so when he walks in, he doesn't find what he expected, right? He just expected to see this altar. He, He finds something else entirely. He finds an angel, a messenger of God standing there right next to it. Now, now typically when we think about angels, we probably think of those old precious moments figurines that typically come out around this time of the year, right? They're little children, they're cute. They've got a halo, probably holding a harp. But those images, they're not exactly accurate. You see, almost always, whenever we see angels referenced in the Bible and described, they actually have this overwhelming and awe-inducing presence about them. Right? They're not the kind of presence where you're comforted by them. It's actually the kind of presence where it strikes fear into your heart because of how majestic they are. And that was Zechariah's response. The next verse tells us that Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. All right, so when he goes in there, didn't expect to see an angel, and he does, this wasn't a moment he was prepared for. He begins to feel fear. And the next verse tells us how the angel responded. It said that the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. All right, so when the angel sees, Zechariah. the first words out of his mouth were to tell Zachariah to not be afraid. And then he goes on to tell him that God has heard these prayers that he and his wife have been praying for years, that despite what they may have felt, God hadn't forgotten them. In fact, God fully knows the desire of his heart to have a child. And Gabriel says, I am here to tell you that God is gonna give you this thing that you want. He is going to give you a son. And in the next several verses, the angel goes on to tell him about this son. He says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. Right? This son that they were gonna have, he wouldn't be an ordinary child. He would actually be set apart for a very special purpose. He would turn the hearts of the people back to God. Right, everything that the angel is saying here, this is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy that was made in the, by, the, uh, by the prophet Malachi in this book that he wrote where God says this. He says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Right, this prophecy, it was made more than 400 years uh, before this moment And this encounter with the angel and it was speaking about his son. It was speaking about John. He was the one who was coming in the spirit of Elijah and his job would be this to prepare the people of Israel for the day where everything that was spoken about in Isaiah nine, that passage we looked at at the beginning, the passage that promised the coming of this Messiah, John was going to be the one who got all of that started. Now, Zechariah, when he heard this, he didn't respond the way you might expect him to. There wasn't joy. There wasn't excitement or anticipation. Instead, there was doubt. There was skepticism. There was fear. Because he knew that he and his wife were too old to have children he knew that it had been more than 700 years since that prophecy about the Messiah had been made. He just didn't see how it could all work. And so he asks the angel, how could this even happen? Because in his mind, it doesn't make sense. You see this response of Zachariah's, what we see is that it wasn't driven by hope. It was driven by fear. On the angel, he didn't like this response very much. And this is what he had to say to Zachariah. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So here he rebukes Zachariah's disbelief that was driven by his fear. He starts off by telling him his name. He says, I am Gabriel. I literally stand in the presence of God. I am one of his mighty angel warriors. And this message that I come to bring, it's not from me. It is literally from God himself. I have come to bring you good news to tell you that your prayers have been answered, that this longing you have had for so long is about to be fulfilled. That the longing the nation of Israel has had for a Messiah, that that was about to happen. And Zechariah." God has chosen you to be a part of this. But instead of embracing this, instead of rejoicing at this, instead of trusting in the things that Gabriel said, Zachariah questions it. He doubts it. And it is because of this lack of faith that Gabriel tells Zechariah that to prove that this is exactly what's going to happen, he will be unable to speak until the day it all comes to fruition. As we read the rest of the story, we see that is exactly how it unfolded. Zechariah, now mute, unable to speak, finishes his service in the temple. And he goes home to his wife. And she conceives and gives birth to a son. And they named him John, just as the angel said. And this set the stage for everything that was to come next. You know, when I read this story, it's really easy for me to understand why Zachariah doubted the things that Gabriel told him, right? It's easy to understand why his first response wasn't joy and excitement, but instead fear and doubt. Because after all, everything Zachariah said was technically true. I mean, him and his wife, they were old. They were barren. What Gabriel told them really did seem impossible. Of course he would respond the way that he did. to be perfectly honest, a lot of times in my life, I do the same thing. When I'm confronted with the hard things that God has asked me to do or to believe or to wait for, I get to this place where I want certainty to know that it's the right move before I actually do it. And when I don't have that certainty, just like Zachariah, I let my fear of not knowing take over. And that doesn't produce faith and trust. It just produces more doubt and more fear. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna have that kind of response in my life anymore. I wanna kind of have the kind of faith that allows me to respond with an enthusiastic yes to everything God has asked me to do or to believe. So how do we get there? Well, as I spent time with this story over the last couple of weeks, getting ready for our time together, I, I saw two things in this particular story that we read this morning that I think could actually help us change our response. You see, there are some things that Gabriel said in this introduction that I really believe if Zachariah had caught them, would have changed the way he responded entirely. Two things that would have enabled him to respond, not with fear, not with doubt, but with joy and with faith. And I believe the same thing is true for us. I believe that when we can internalize these two things, they're gonna help us respond to fear the right way. So the first thing we see in this story that'll help us change our response is this. It's knowing that God knows us. When Gabriel first spoke to Zechariah, did you notice how he addressed him by name? Did you notice how he told Zechariah that God actually heard his prayers? That despite everything him and Elizabeth might have felt all those years of being barren, God hadn't forgotten him. He heard him. He listened. He saw the things that he was going through. You know, so often when we're confronted with things in our own lives that are difficult and scary, we do exactly what Zechariah did. We let our fear consume us and drive us. And that's because we get so stuck looking at things from our own perspective that we forget to pause and look at things from God's perspective. A lot of times we just fail to see the bigger picture. We forget that our maker our father, he knows us. He sees us. He listens to us. He is not oblivious to our pain and to our struggles. And when we can remember this, it'll give us the courage to trust him because it won't be this blind trust. It'll actually be this trust that is rooted in the relationship that we have with him where we know him and he knows us. So that's the first thing. The second thing we see in this story that I think will change the way that we respond to the fear that we have in our life is, is simply this. It's knowing that God cares for us. You see, for years, Zachariah had been praying for a child. For years, him and his wife had dealt with the fear of what would happen if they stayed barren. But then this angel shows up and not only does he tell him that his prayers have been heard, he tells him that God is actually gonna step into their world and do something about it. He was gonna have a son and this plan that God had for that child, it was far better than any plan Zachariah and Elizabeth could have had for him. You know, I think a lot of times in our lives, It's hard to trust God because maybe we believe that he loves us, yes, but if we're honest, sometimes we don't always believe that he cares about us enough to actually show it. But what we see so clearly here is that despite how we might feel in the midst of uncertainty, despite the chaos and just all of that stuff that goes along with our fear, what we see is that God is still moving. He heard Zachariah's prayers, And he responded, he hears your prayers and he will respond. Those things you've been praying for and laying before him, he's going to do something about them. And sometimes you might have to wait a while, but as Zachariah, I'm sure would tell us the wait is worth it. He cares. You know, after that conversation I had with my daughter, that one where she told us about this overwhelming fear she feels in the middle of the night. My wife and I made a decision. We don't lock our door anymore when we go to bed. And that's because we want her to know that when she is afraid, when she is alone, when she is overwhelmed. We want her to know that she, as our daughter, that this little girl who is precious in our sight, we want her to know that she has full access to us. That day or night, no matter what, she can come to us and she can find comfort and rest in our presence and in our embrace. Friends, this is exactly what God does for us. Night or day, his door is always unlocked. Because of what Jesus did when he went to the cross and took care of our sin, he gave us the ability to have full access to the father. And he is a good father. He is a father who holds nothing back. A father who never locks his door to keep us away. A father who is always inviting us to come to him. And now because of this, We can take all of these things that cause us fear and we can bring them to him. And in his loving embrace, we can be assured that despite the things that cause us to be afraid, despite our questions, despite our doubts, we can know that we are loved, that we are cared for. And in the presence of our heavenly father, in his loving embrace, all of those things that we're afraid of, they'll be driven away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you don't lock the door. That you love us. That you care for us. And as a loving father, that you tell us that all those things that consume us, that we can bring all of those things to you. We can be comforted by you. We can be cared for by you. Father, would we have the courage to do that? To not allow the things that we fear to consume us not allow the things that we fear to overwhelm us but would we take that bold step of coming to you laying them at your feet and accepting the loving embrace you have for us
5: Down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross is spoken, I am forgiving the king. The past lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living. Feel the promise, your buried body, begin to breathe, out of the silence, the Roman lion, declare the grave, as no.
1: with you guys so we just want to take a moment now and remember the hope that we have today because Jesus came so in this first weekend of Advent we focus on the hope that we have through Jesus and Michael will be reading this scripture for us and let's meditate in these words from Isaiah
0: yeah I'm gonna read from Isaiah chapter 9 you if you want to read along with me you're welcome to otherwise just as Mariana said I encourage you to just meditate in these words today the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called
1: Let's pray. Jesus, we are in awe of who you are and what you have done and what you represent to us today. Thank you. Thank you for the truth revealed in this portion of Scripture. And we want to carry this, light this fire in our hearts as we go from here. Lord, would you keep that flame burning in us, remembering what who we are in you, who you are, Father, and the hope that we have in you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, let me dismiss you with a blessing, friends. Now may the God of hope fill you with all Joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. You guys have a great week.